Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey there, I'm your host Norm and this is the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast. And on this episode, I'm going to talk about some games of late, of course. And the uh, special topic for this episode is 20 family games for the summer. Because it's time to relax, spend some time with the family, and play some games that we all enjoy. Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street in Saskatoon. They are the winner of the Joe Schuster Award for Best Comic Book Store in Canada, and they were also nominated in 2016 for the U.S. Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award presented at Comic-Con. Amazing Stories' amazing collection of comic books, board games, puzzles, and collectibles can be found in their store or on their new online website. Hey there and welcome back. This is Cardboard Conjecture and it's time for some games of late. And lately in the gamer's garage, we played a game that I have never played before and I've always wanted to play because I enjoy my area control, area majority, area influence. Let's categorize that all together. Come up with a name. Majonifluence. Um, uh, so yeah, played Mission Red Planet by uh, designed by Bruno Catala and Bruno Fiduti, published by Fantasy Flight Games, and the the artwork is I, I mean that was the first thing that pulled my eye for a long time, uh, trying to trying to find a time to play this game, uh, and yeah, uh, Dave and Jordan, this is from their collection, and they and Dave brought it over, it was his pick. And uh, so we picked Mission Red Planet and uh, another one I'm going to talk about afterwards. But uh, yeah, think of uh, uh, Missions to Mars a la steampunk kind of thing. And uh, considering those two designers, there's some pedigree there. And uh, I'll just read the first paragraph of description because that, that gets a really good kind of mindset. And then, I'll, uh, and then I'll talk about the mechanism. So with technology rapidly developing and the human population growing... Victorian-era Earth is in dire need of fuel, land, and other natural resources. Fortunately, automated probes sent to Mars have discovered solarium, an ore that can be combusted to produce 10,000 times more power than a steam engine, and sylvanite, the densest substance ever found. More incredibly, the probes found ice that could be used in terraforming the planet, bringing the idea of colonizing Mars even closer to becoming a reality. Yeah, dramatic, wasn't it? Uh, so this is uh, action majority, area influence, hand, now hand, this is the cool part, hand management. Now, I've always talked about El Grande being my favorite, uh, <laughs> but, you're sensing a but, my favorite uh, area majority, area control. I've only played, and this is the weird thing, I have the big box edition of El Grande with all the expansions, but I've only played the base game. And the first expansion is this idea where you get to take the cards and choose what kind of combination initiative action you want to take. This is what Red Planet does. This is what Mission Red Planet does. You have nine cards. Everybody has the same cards with uh, uh, initiative order from, I think it's like one all the way to nine. And the higher the initiative... The higher the number, the, the, is the order of the, of the hierarchy of the initiative, right? So, but if the higher the number, the lesser the power. Same thing with uh, El Grande. The lower the number, huge things you can do if they're available to you, right? If they're not all gone, if the others at the table haven't hate moved on you, which um, is this kind of thing about the game that you need to... I mean, every area majority uh, game... Uh, or control, however you want to call it, 
um, there's gonna be some take that and not necessarily take well in this case yeah blow up your ship <laughs> that's definitely a take that but uh, there's gonna be some player interaction and this one uh, yes blowing up sh people's ships with their with their colonists on board that is player I'd say that's player interaction but there are certain cards there are certain actions there are certain you know things in the game which will allow you to take some of your colonists off of this zone of of let's call it uh displaced workers <laughs> yeah uh, uh mortality displaced workers um that you can bring them into the game i had a card which allowed me uh, end of game that i got two points for every one of my workers in this area so I was, for the whole game, that none of them really kind of figured it out, but I was trying to get my guys on the ships that were going to get blow, you know, blew it up real good. And uh, no, they made it to the planet. I'm thinking, no, that was cannon fodder for end of game points. But now I have to try and strategically move these guys on the board. And I mean, I'm saying a lot of positive things. And yeah, I had so much fun with this game that uh, it's, oh, it's, Given a little shoulder push to El Grande to make some space on that shelf, because or get pushed out of the way because, hmm, there's there's I have to do some research. I have to play these games back to back to see what's going on here because there might be a replacement. Heads up. So yeah, uh, I quite enjoyed Mission Red Planet, um, designed by Bruno Catala, Bruno Fiduti, the Brun the Brunos. Um, and published by Fantasy Flight Games. Now, the next game that we played, and uh, thank you so much, Dave, for picking this second one, because we played some Euros that played fast, not like, you know, none of these long-scale narrative-driven... And not that I'm dissing them, it's just that Euros, it, it, they just it, they get to the point. And the second game he picked, um, which brought a tear to my eye, um, because I have the original ugliest box cover art ever so much so that you have to adore it like bad folk art uh yeah i said folk um uh so this one is hansa teutonica designed by andres steading uh and published by my copy was argentum verlag and i believe there's a big box out there but i don't know what it is but i want to talk about this published version because this is the most boldest dynamic euro colors of of taupe and brown and green and 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 you know khaki all those beautiful vibrant euro colors used in game uh so yeah uh i i'll always lean on throw some shade on uh, hansa teutonica for for its aesthetic but i would never change its aesthetic because it is what it is. It's beauty. It's gorgeous. It's perfection. When it comes to uh, networking and route building games, this is by far the straightforward, simplest, don't get things confused uh, game ever. You have, uh, you have uh, on your player board, basically you've got this board with all of these cities and, and it's um, the Teutonic period, right? Where there's where there's uh, mercantilism and and there's trade and you're trying to develop routes to ports because it's time to make some money, right? And uh, so that's exactly what this is, is you're looking at a map with destination points and this kind of connect the dot geographic map idea. And each of these... And, and each of these cities has offices and in these, some have one office, some have three offices. And if there's um, three offices in a building, the one that's furthest to the right is the one that has control of that uh, office, right? And that'll come into end of game scoring with whoever's got more control of this. Um, but bottom line, it's a rope building game. And you have to have this connection of, you know, there's, there's Teutonic... Uh, um, financial connection of of business going on and uh i mean without getting into a deep review which i think i have reviewed i might have to l listen to that again and see if i gushed enough about this game uh yeah this it's there's just so much going on and i think the first thing that freaks people out about this game is uh that you 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 want to get in the way of everybody because at, in getting in the way uh, is that idea of uh, 
of people kick you out and you get compensated for it and you, de- you get to develop more routes. So yeah, without, yeah, without gushing enormously, uh, if you like uh, network building, route building, um, straightforward, uh, just strip everything um, bare except for the mechanical nature of the game, this is perfection. Um, that's Hansa Teutonica by Andres Stedding and published by Argentum Verlag. And there is a big box, but I don't need it because I've got all of it. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Dragon's Den Games, located in the Louis VIII Ball on H Street in Saskatoon. Swing by Dragon's Den Games and let Darren, Al, and the awesome staff help you out in search for great board games, role-playing games, miniature systems, and all of the related accessories. Be a part of their gaming communities that have scheduled events in their great gaming area. Dragon's Den Games, Louis VIII Mall on H Street in Saskatoon. And we're back. This is Cardboard Conjecture. I am your host, Norm, and let's get into 20 family games for the summer. Yeah, summertime. Awesome. So, a uh, little bit of footnoting here. These, now, I'm, I didn't go kind of source other lists because uh, these are games I'm going to play with my family. So, these, ga- these are games that come from my own collection. Now, I know that there are a lot of other Uh, Very cool family games out there, but these are the ones that I'm familiar with and the ones that I know work with my family. And saying that, uh, I'll describe the context so that you know how these things plug in. So my wife uh, will play board games with me, but her hobby is reading books. So I have to make sure that uh, it it is precise, it is detailed. She's also a school teacher, so her her learning style is uh, don't waste my time teaching me. Let's just play and, and you know, guide me on the side as I play. And the rule set, she does not like games with heavy cognitive load. So the rule sets need to be pretty straightforward, no more than, you know, four or five steps. I mean, that's pushing it, right? So that's the context of that. Uh, I have a, uh, a teenage daughter who uh, loves, <laughs> loves playing board games, doesn't like to lose those. So that's that idea of maybe for some cooperative. And then I have another teenage son, uh, Daniel, who uh, also has Down syndrome. And uh, so as far as the games go, I have to make sure that I'm capable of scaffolding the rules so that he's able to participate uh, from his own understanding of how things function. And uh, I mean, his parents are both school teachers, so I hope we do a good job in that way. And bottom line, I mean, it's, it's family. Bottom line, are we having fun? And that's kind of, I mean, the rules can go, you know, poo-poo if, uh, if the result is uh, our ability to, to connect even more at the table and have fun, right? So, yeah, there you go. The family rules. So the first one I want to talk about is, uh, uh, again, Oh boy, does the competitive nature come out when this game comes out, and that is Tumbling Dice. Uh, came out in 2004, and this is a flick and push kind of shuffleboard meets uh, demolition derby. Uh, so how it works is, uh, visualize this. Uh, you have kind of a shuffleboard that has uh, a one, two, three, four, five tiers. On the top tier is I'm gonna I'm gonna use a lot of different metaphors. In the, uh, in the top tier is your is your tee box like your golf where you put your six sided dice, and what's gonna happen is you're gonna flick it and it's gonna basically tumble down these little levels these wooden little levels and it's probably the size of a uh, of let's call it a kind of rectangular esque crokinole board that's what the size that it sits on the table and. Uh, on that top level where your your tee box is, um, that's the zero zone. You need to fall to the next rectangular, um, you know, uh, wide uh, left and right, but narrow uh, from front to back. Uh, level is one times the value of the dice face. Yeah, you're catching on, right? So the next level you drop down is two times level of the dice face. 
The third level you drop down is three times the level of the dice face. Now, here's where it gets cray-cray. Uh, level four, you have to picture uh, these three little islands. Uh, one on the right, one on the left, and one right in the middle. And in between these, think like a castle notches on the top of the on the top of the concourse level, right? You have these little islands that could easily fall off. There's little, there's two little pegs at the end of it, uh, um, kind of like a crokinole board that you can maybe bounce off and stay on. And the same with the third level, uh, just before these little holes of <laughs> where the board does not continue. So I hope I gave a good visual on that. Uh, you each have like four or five dice. I think it's five dice. Yeah. And uh, you take turns flicking, and that's the thing. If someone's got a uh, on on the third level three times, and they have a six pip value, you could target that dice and just destroy it and get it off the board, risking yourself falling off, or tap it and try to turn it into something different. Right? Uh, each time someone goes to flick a dice, everybody is anxious, or so. Everybody who has a dice on the board is anxious because that is the nature of this game. Is uh, It's dynamic. It is constant anxiety. And it is fun. Absolute fun if you like flicking games. If you're into that whole kind of crokinole, uh, competitive point scoring kind of things, it's great. And uh, this is one of, again, like crokinole, this is one of those games where you could just make up the the how you win right it could be we, whoever whoever you know gets the most points in this first set gets you know uh, a, a point and it's the first to three points or you can play the first player to 200 points total wins right I mean there's so many ways that you can go about this game uh, it is so uh, um, malleable in regards to what you can do with that rule set so that's why we enjoy tumbling dice a lot now, the next one is a Phil Walker Harding game, and I like uh, the games he designs because speaking of uh, 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 rule sets with low cognitive load, like straightforward, streamlined kind of ideas, uh, this one, this card game meets all of those requirements for our family, and that's Archaeology, the New Expedition. And it is Indiana Jones in a card game. And uh, so basically... Uh, it's open drafting, push your luck, set collection, where you, uh, yeah, it's that era of, uh, of uh, I'm going to, I hope I don't get sued by, uh, by anybody who owns the rights, but it's Indiana Jones kind of thing where you're an archaeologist, you're going out, and these cards are basically you going into the desert collecting artifacts, and it's set building where, if you understand your set building, if you have three cards of the same, it's worth a certain point value. If you hang, uh, try and hang on and and wait and push your luck to see if you can get more, uh, then it's worth more. Now, the way you cash in is you, uh, from your hand, one of the, one of the um, uh, choices in your play is to uh, put some in your, uh, to exhibit, put on exhibition your uh, pieces. Once you put them down in your tableau, it's locked. It's like you putting it into the museum. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. You can't lose it. Those are your points. Now, the market itself in the, that's accessible to everybody, uh, you can go in and trade cards from your hand to get certain items. Uh, you can also, in the, and uh, the, I think it's with all versions, but I think um, the, the, I don't I think I know. Uh, my game has five different uh, areas, like big digs, where you can go into a temple, you can go into a pyramid, you can go into a certain thing where there are, that's the hidden information where there are a pot, there's certain amount of cards in, depending on uh, which uh, um, great expedition you choose. Uh, but there are a certain amount of cards in there that are not shown. And you, if you have a certain amount of map cards, may have access to these cards and pick and choose which ones you want to add. Because as every good set collecting game, there are uh, common sets and there are rare sets. And uh, when you can play these rare sets in completion, big points, right? Uh, so, yeah, that being said, uh, it's pretty straightforward. On your turn, you get a couple actions. You, you, you present your, your card, set collecting cards. You get points. And uh, the game is like 20 minutes. It is so much fun. And that's what you'll notice a lot with the games that, I, that I'm throwing out here. They're short times because 
Uh, I mean, you have the family. You don't want to get locked in to, uh, you know, a two and a half hour game because, first of all, uh, as an adult, sometimes I don't have that kind of a 10. Oh, sorry about that. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's archaeology. Uh, I, yeah, I highly recommend it. It's a card game. It's, it's not expensive uh, and you'll have so much fun with it. The, uh, the next one, again, is another card game that plays 15 to 30 minutes. Uh, this one plays up to six players, and this one is, uh, I'll just tell you the title, Point Salad. came out in 2019, and uh, it's designed by Molly Johnson, Robert Melvin, and Sean Stankiewicz, and uh, comes from AEG. And uh, this is the most clever pun that I've ever heard in regards to the whole gaming industry, because... Uh, point salad sometimes in reference to Stefan Feld games where you I twitch and you get you know three points uh, you shift in your chair you get four points I'm being facetious but it's near that sometimes uh, so it's open drafting set collection again I think my family digs set collecting because it's some it's <laughs> maybe we watch too much hoarders on TV I don't know so uh, I'm just going to read the tag that they give because it's a great uh, Point Salad is a fast and fun card drafting game for the whole family. There are over 100 ways to score points. Players may use a variety of strategies, and every game of Point Salad is unique. So you basically have a whole bunch of veggies uh, on one side. On the other side are uh, scoring formulas, right? Uh, get a certain amount of points for tomatoes, but you get minus one point for peppers, right? Those, there's so many different kind of ways, like it says 100 different ways to score points uh, because of that. I mean, if you want to get into uh, uh, the math, the, the very, like how many variations you can have depending on these, these six uh, types of uh, vegetables. So uh, the, here's the kind of teacher tie-in because, again, I feel sorry for my kids that both parents are teachers, but... Uh, if you want your kids to practice their math skills and their concepts of of grouping, you know, like creating mathematical formulas of, you know, this plus this plus this, add them all together kind of thing. Uh, this is a great way to uh, give them a tangible, practical way of understanding math concept. And uh, that's my teacher plug. <laughs> so, but it's fun. It is so much fun to the point where... Uh, these are, this is again, one of those games where there's, you know, three, four consecutive plays just because the brain, uh, has so much fun with it. And in Daniel's situation, um, you just, I just have to side coach him and go, this card means you want these ones and you don't want these. This card means that you want to collect these and you don't want these, right? So I have to give, I have to pare it down for him, uh, to the point where, um, it's basically, uh, down to two choices or down to three choices. And I, I mean, I'll coach them along too going, there's nothing there that you want. So here's another choice for you, right? And once he understands uh, the choices available to him, to his ability to discern his choices is what I help him with. So at times, there's times where he'll just, I'll start to talk and go, no, 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 I'm thinking. <laughs> so it's okay, yes, of course, time, give him time to process. Uh, then that's just because I drink too much coffee. So that's Point Salad. Uh, once again, designed by Molly Johnson, Robert Melvin, and Sean Stankiewicz, published by AEG. And uh, that trio of designers has a lot of really cool games. You should look them up. Next is, <laughs> this is complete chaos in a board game, and it's so much fun. Uh, it is a cooperative game. Uh, and it is a, one of those games that has sand timers and your sand timer is your worker placement thing. And I'm talking about Kitchen Rush uh, 2017. Juggle orders, prepare dishes and stock the pantry to satisfy your hungry customers. Uh, it's again, I like it because it's solo to four players. It plays, this one is about 30 to 45 minutes, uh, but it's one of those games where um, 30 to 45 minutes goes by fast because the, like I said, it's a worker placement game in the kitchen um, that uses sand timers. Now, before I continue, I forgot the designers. Um, Vangelis Bagyartakis, I am so sorry if I mispronounced that, and David Turksey, uh, published by Artipia Games. Uh, I think I said that right. Uh, and uh, yes, so you are basically a kitchen crew 
uh, bringing in orders, trying to uh, time and literally time when you execute all of these actions to uh, uh, finish these orders in a timely manner or you're going to lose a tip or you're going to lose the customer or, oh yeah, and it's cooperative. So, wow, there is, <laughs> there is a lot of personality that comes through in this game. And uh, so, yeah, if you like your uh, cooperative games, if you like that idea, like um, Escape the Temple, I think is one of those where you're rolling dice and you're, tr you're trying to, as fast as you can without damage, make something happen. This is kind of that same thing with a very familiar theme because everybody knows uh, the kitchen and everybody because of, you know, uh, um, streaming services knows about food cooking shows. So there is a familiarity through the whole family on what you're trying to accomplish. There, there's nothing vague in uh, don't burn the food. <laughs> so, yeah, I highly recommend this. There's just so, there's, I mean... <laughs> To say that there's recipe fulfillment in this would be a little redundant. <laughs> but yes, there's recipe fulfillment in this. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, this game, like the way I'm giggling about it is because I'm thinking about games that we've had in the past and I'm mostly laughing about executive chef Sophie uh, slapping the back of her hand to the palm of her other hand, explaining that, you know, we got to get this stuff going. Come on, come on, right? I, like, wow, she turned into Chef Ramsay pretty quick. <laughs> but I love her anyways. Uh, so, yeah, that's Kitchen Rush. Uh, moving on to uh, one of our favorites. I'll quickly talk about this. I won't get too deep into it because I, you can't really get too deep into it because it's really abstract. And that's The Climbers. Uh, designed by Holgen Lons and uh, published by Capstone Games. And uh, basically, use blocks to build your way to the top. Each block has uh, um, different colors on, and these different colors coordinate with your color and your ability to move on these blocks up or down. Um, no, uh, sorry, not up or down. Uh, up or sideways. And it's the idea of, of uh, when you move up, you take a block and you kind of Jenga thing, right? And so this shape that starts off in the beginning of the game is going to turn into towers as you start to progress, climbing up this thing, removing blocks from the bottom and putting them on the top and selecting colors. Um, the, yeah, there's not much you can really... I mean, your goal is to climb to the highest level of the structure. Um, and you help... Sometimes you have... You've got these two ladders that if you're stuck, it's kind of break glass in case of emergency kind of thing. But uh, you're also, um, I mean, we play, there's a blocking disc, but we don't use it because the game, the game sometimes uh, can, can throw a curveball enough at you. So uh, that's one of those family uh, variables that we use. But yeah, this is one of those games where, again, it's a half hour for us, right? And uh, sometimes we get multiple plays. Sometimes we play that until somebody's ready to come play the game that we've selected. So yeah, the climbers, it's fun. Hi, if you like the content we're creating and the podcast episodes we're producing, please leave a happy rating on the podcast platform that you use. This would be such a great gift and would also help others find our podcast when they search for board game podcasts. And if you have the time, check out our new YouTube channel where we have new content every few days. Just search Cardboard Conjecture on YouTube. Thanks, eh? All right, let's continue with this list. I will go a little faster. I don't want to... I, I get stuck on the games because I, I have such good sense memory on the experiences with the family. So there you go. That's this is pretty much why I want to share my favorite family games with you guys. Uh, the next one is uh, by far our favorite racing game, and that's Flamme Rouge. Flamme Rouge, as Daniel would say. Uh, designed by Asger Harding Granerud. I hope I said that properly. I'm so sorry. And uh, published by Stronghold Games in North America and La Tapulite in France. I, 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 yeah, I'm so embarrassed. Um, so, riders negotiate the course and avoid exhaustion in this card-peddling tour de force. And basically, it is a 
bicycle racing game where you have two cyclists, a, a sprinter and a grinder kind of thing. And uh, you have decks of cards that represent the movements of both of these cyclists. And it's so straightforward, simple. This is one of Daniel's favorite games. You select three cards that are movement and they have, depending on the, on the cyclist, they have a range from uh, like two all the way to, I believe, nine. And uh, so the sprinter has, you know, fast movement. The grinder has a good steady movements of fours and fives and, you know, that kind of thing. And so you select three, you pick one, you put the other two underneath, and uh, then you reveal. And uh, the straightforward rules of the game, where you start with the person in the back and you, and you, you, you move your way forward, or not the person in the back, start the person in the front, and you move your way forward. I'm going to have to check the rules on this. I am so sorry. Ha! <laughs> But uh, the cool part of this is the drafting. If there is a space, you start from the back. If there's a space in between, a single space in between the last person, the tailing person and the person in front of them, they get to suck up. Same thing with, as you can see, this whole, this whole uh, uh, strategy and cycling on trying to follow and, and streamline yourself and save energy is mechanically represented in this game. And it's so great. Uh, the variability of the tracks is insane because you come, it's like a Lego set of tracks and you have these cards and there are so, there's a community of people that have developed different tracks. Uh, there's some that have developed a, a Tour de France. If you want to do a cycling campaign, it's there. So yeah, Flamme Rouge. Uh, I, I, I'm, I could carry on. I could carry on, but I won't. So Flamme Rouge, if you like uh, racing games and you 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 like the ability to you know have some fun with the family and it's a it's easy rule set by by all means yeah try have fun with this game absolutely uh, the next one is uh, is a trick-taking game and uh, here in Saskatchewan we got a game called Kaiser right uh, and uh, I think every I mean you've learned how to play this before you can walk kind of thing in some some communities no, I'm joking but it takes that idea where uh, there's it still has this standard suits, right? You have your diamonds, you have your clubs, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and but here's the difference: is I mean, in in, in trick taking games, whoever is uh, is leading uh, decides what suit, right? And decides uh, and and lays a card down. And in that suit, if you can play in that suit, the hierarchy wins the trick. Uh, if you can't play within that suit, then you can play anything you want, or you can play a trump card, right, or a power card. Yeah, I, I like that word better. The other one makes my skin crawl. Uh, so you play a power card, and that power card basically is wild, and it takes control. Um, so and in the case of diamonds, uh, the suits represent different powers that you can do at different times of the games, where if you play a power card that is a you know, a spade, then you get to do something particular in regards to these diamonds. Now, basically, you are all uh, diamond store owners and you have diamonds on display and you have diamonds in your vault. The diamonds in your vault are the points that you get to count at the end of the game. The diamonds in front of your store can get moved around or put back in in store in uh, in commu the communal kind of center, right? Basically taken away from you. Uh, and uh, you play a certain round of hands and you collect, you count all your points of diamonds in the vault and that's how you win. And it's, a, again, a game that plays 20, 30 minutes. And because of the nature of people's familiarity with Kaiser, the, the trick-taking game that we know, this is an easy slide sideways into understanding the rule set. And speaking of, uh, thank you to the designer Mike Fitzgerald and uh, published by Stronghold Games, that this is like the cards are getting worn, the edges are getting worn down on these cards that we, we play this so much. But uh, yeah, thank you for applying a rule set to probably uh, something that everybody has, which is a deck of cards. So yay. Uh, moving on, uh, another fun family game. And again, this one plays 15 to 20 minutes. Look at that. Plays two to eight players. Um, and this game is all about spatial relationships and uh um, network uh, like route building and some player elimination and some tile placement and I'm talking about Suro. Play tiles and move around the board with your dragon and you try to outlast everybody and uh, how this game works is there's basically a grid pattern board in front of you. You have a little, uh, it looks like a, a stone 
uh, um, monolith of a dragon that of your color that you start at the edge of the board. Everybody has three tiles in their hands to put onto this board. And these tiles have squiggly lines all over them, spaghetti lines that go from one edge to another edge. And what happens is that's the route that you're building. And it is crazy spaghetti routes that you're building. Um, without getting too deep, you basically you're trying to fly your dragon and stay on the board uh, before uh, and, and you know last dragon standing. And how you get eliminated is if you collide into another dragon, boom, you're gone. If you fly off the edge of the board, you're gone. Sometimes you can put a tile in where you affect yourself and potentially a dragon that is uh, sitting at the edge of an empty tile space with you, you could send them off the board. So there's that idea of, you know, messing with your uh, family members. <laughs> but it's fun. It's uh, player elimination. But I mean, I'm never a big fan of player elimination because that just sucks. But in a game like this that takes 15 minutes and you're watching the, the crazy chaos happen in front of you, you're not too... You know, you're not too disappointed or hurt that uh, that you're not participating because, like I said, in five minutes, game, the next game's going to start. So yeah, that's so much fun. We have so much fun at this game. That's Suro, T S U R O, uh, and uh, carrying on with uh, some dice games. Um, this is, I, you know, I didn't know how much the family would like this one, but boy, oh boy, this is one of their favorite. Uh, Rolling rights, and that is Quix, Q-W-I-X-X. -X. I don't know where this word came from, but uh, this is uh, uh, a great game where you have uh, four different colored dice, a yellow, blue, green, and red, and then two white dice. And uh, what happens on your, you have a board which has these colors and the numbers uh, from uh, two to 12 on two sets of dice from left to right, and then on the other two color sets of dice from left to right, you have 12 to two, right? So two groups going from uh, from low numbers to high numbers, and two groups going from high numbers to low numbers. Now, it's always left to right. So when you roll the dice, uh, whoever's turn it is, you roll the dice, everybody has the ability to uh, use the dice, uh, the number on the, the, sorry, the added number of the two white dice. So let's say the right white dice has a one and a two, so that's three. So everybody can use the number three anywhere in their, uh, in their tableau. Uh, now, whoever rolls the dice must, on their turn, select one white dice and one colored dice and add that to the tableau. If they can't, then they have to uh, mark off one of four garbage um, uh, items and if uh, this that's one of the triggers if you mark off the fourth one game's over and you score uh, this game again back to the whole idea of time it's a 15 minute game right depending on I mean if it's like max player count then it could take a little longer but uh, so uh, like I said you uh, put X's from left to right you once you put an X you can never go to the left of that so you're always having to to discern or to judge what is the best fit or the most efficient way to use a dice value. Sometimes it's like, oh, I'll, I'll go from 10 to 8. I don't mind skipping, you know, uh, the numbers, you know, or 10 to 7. I don't mind skipping two uh, spaces because, you know, that's the best choice. So uh, there's a lot of, um, like I said, for, for the kids, there's a lot of uh, uh, problem solving and and and. Uh, judging and looking at scenarios and, and working that math out or the probabilities out in their head. And uh, when, uh, when that's the first trigger is the, the four X's, uh, the second game end trigger is uh, on the end of the, the far right of the board, if you are the one that finishes that last box, let's say it's the 12s or the 2s, you get to lock that colored dice out of the game. So uh, when the second lock dice is out of the game, game's over, and you calculate your score, and basically how the scoring works is you take the amount of X's, you look on the, on the little legend and say, oh, for five X's, I get so many points. For six X's, I get so many points. You add those up, most points wins. It's a great game. It's so much fun. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, we, and it's one of those put it in your pocket kind of games, or uh, we've even, the kids have even played it in the car. 
right? For those who don't, aren't troubled by emotion or car sickness. Uh, so yeah, yeah, quicks, it's awesome. Uh, moving on, we have Blue Lagoon, uh, designed by Reiner Knizia and published by Blue Orange Games. And uh, it's basically Reiner Knizia's version of uh, like area majority, area influence, um, route building, uh, chaining connections. Um, basically, it's a hexagon map with uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, eight islands. And as on your turn, you basically just add a, a token that's either a land token or a water token. Uh, and you basically start to snake your way through these territories off one island onto the, you know, through the water onto the next island. Uh, sometimes, and of course, you can't cross any other one's route. So sometimes you will get dead-ended into a corner. Um, it's, there's two scoring, you know, there's a mid-game scoring and there's an end-game scoring in regards to the area majorities of all these islands and all the little resources that you're picking up. So there's kind of a set collecting thing. Um, again, this is one of those games plays a half an hour, right? Um, maybe 35 minutes. And uh, it is so much fun because the rule set is straightforward. Add to your snake, as we explained to the kids. Just add to your snake and try to block people off and try to you know have more on these islands than others. We show them how much the islands are worth and... Oh boy, oh boy, do my kids start to understand um, cost to value. <laughs> Which, yeah, for, for four points, I'm not spending many people on this island, right? So right away, I'm like, yeah, they're starting to, you know, they're starting to uh, understand their concepts of, uh, of value to proportion. So good on them. This episode is supported by the incredible team at Breakout Escape and Board Game Lounge here in Saskatoon. Using industry-leading technology, Breakout Escape Rooms are all 100% uniquely designed by the team to ensure their patrons have maximum fun while staying safe. As well, they are a fully licensed board game lounge with over 400 titles to select from to ensure fun for every gamer, new and experienced. Be sure to check them out at BreakoutSask.com. At Breakout Escapes and Board Game Lounge, they believe that life is more fun when you play games. Let's get back to this list. The, uh, the next few um, are kind of the, that range where if Daniel's going to play, then he'll play with me so that, that we can, you know, um, he still can participate. And, and I don't mind having an assistant. You know, he's a great assistant. And uh, so let's get into this batch of games where, um, uh, yeah, we have so much fun as a family and even with the extended family. And the first one I want to talk about is Dixit. Uh, Dixit is, uh, again, 30-minute game designed by uh, Jean-Louis uh, Rub uh, Rubira, Rubira? Uh, <laughs> published by um, Lebelude. And uh, I don't know if there's a North American uh, uh, publisher here. Wow, that, they should find the rights to that. Um, so, uh, Dixit, give the perfect clue uh, so most but not all players can guess which is your card because each player uh, will have a hand of cards of these uh, crazy, uh, not, not crazy, these fantastic, um, surreal, uh, beautiful uh, renditions of, uh, of art in certain uh, you know, cer certain packs come out in certain styles or, or themes, right? And uh, from what I understand, it is an honor for, uh, to be selected by the, by the, the publishers to, uh, for artists to provide a series of cards for the next Dixit uh, expansion. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's gorgeous. Sometimes I just get so lost in the, in the cards and go, oh yeah, what's the word that, the clue that we're supposed to match? So speaking of, uh, it's a race game. Uh, the point value, I won't get too deep into, but I'll just explain to you what goes on. Uh, if you are the player who, the, the active player, in your hand of cards, you look at these cards, you select one card, and you think of a clue that will, again, um, uh, allow some people to connect the clue to your card, but not all of them, because if it's obvious, you haven't done a very strategic job in 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 clue giving because if it's too obvious then everybody gets points and you don't if it's just obvious enough 
the people that are clever and pick your card and you're clever and not everybody picks your card, you get the maximum amount of points. Uh, and uh, also if you're sneaky enough that you're, uh, if you're the non-active player and people pick your card, you get to sneak points. So yeah, that's how it works. Uh, if I'm at the go and I have a card and I look at this card and I see uh, uh, a banquet table full of, of you know, at the end of the a thing and I, I have the word in my head is messy, right? And so everybody goes messy. They look at their hand, they put a card, they put their selected card face down in front of them. Uh, then the active player puts them all out and then uh, puts them in a lineup that has numbers because everybody will have these little chits that designate what they can uh, secretly vote on in regards to what their pick is. And then when everybody has secretly voted, the active player says, okay, reveal, everybody reveals, they designate what is, you attribute the points, and then the active player moves. Rinse and repeat, it is such a fun game for the fallout <laughs> of the voting or the fallout of the recognition of whose card is what. Because there's times where people go, how did you even connect that? And they're like, well, if you saw my hand, that's the closest thing, right? So there's all of these uh, repercussion discussions that happen that are so, there's times where I'm crying, I'm laughing so hard at, at you know, how could you think that was connected? And I don't, right? It's just, it's so adorable. It is so much fun. And, uh, and again, this is one of those games where there's, I mean, there's no bad consequences. Even if you lose, you're like, oh, I lost, but I mean, I got a smile on my face, so I win, right? So yeah, that's Dixit. Uh, we're going to jump into uh, a game that is probably on the, the higher end of, of the uh, ability to, you know, like as far as the, the, the gamer goes. This is a gamer level game. Uh, and uh, I've, I've had the opportunity to play this with family members. And this is Wingspan, and uh, it designed by Elizabeth, <laughs> Elizabeth Hargrave. Part, in my, part of my brain was like, I should just mispronounce it just to be clever. But then I, you know, psyched myself out. Uh, published by Stonemeyer Games. This is, uh, oh man, this is probably in everybody's collection. It is Engine Building Joy, and it is wrapped around the concept of birds, concept of habitats, concept of each card has a unique power or unique attribute that adds to your engine or adds to the success of your uh, um, uh, tableau. And uh, so, yeah, uh, I mean, I, I don't need to explain it too much because like I said, I, I think a lot of people are very familiar with this game. Uh, there are uh, expansions, like if you want cards, there are cards for this game. And uh, it is beautiful art by Beth Sobel. Uh, I've often refer referred to this game as, uh, it's like, you know, Audubon, the bird game, right? I mean, that's just how refined and, and meticulous this game is in regards to its visuals and its mechanical uh, um, integration. I mean, it does such a fantastic job of being able to demonstrate to you how certain cards synergistically connect to each other. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, this is one of those games where, at least for me, even when I lose, I learn more about the game and go, okay, next time I'm going to try this. Next time I'm going to try this. Or next time, not going to do that. <laughs> so yeah, that's Wingspan. Uh, the next one really fast here is, uh, is kind of like if you like chess and you want to keep it simple, then play Santorini. Um, and uh, not even with the divine powers. There's times where we've just played Santorini, the base game, which is on the basic principle of move and build, move and build, move and build. And your objective is try to get to the top of a three-towered uh, um, building uh, without somebody putting a blue dome and capping that, take zoink, taking that uh, access to you away. And uh, this is such a great game for my kids when they started to develop their spatial, you know, dimensional awareness. Where uh, the game, they'll, yeah, like Sophie will just walk around that board and she'll be like Kenobi, you know, rubbing her beard as she's investigating what are the potential moves that she can have to destroy her papa. Um, so, yeah, Santorini, and again, the, I've referred to it as this very chess like. 
but you can play three players and, and still have a very uh, fantastic uh, competitive game. And again, 20 minutes, right? Fast and furious. Now, if you want to take it to the next level, add the, the God cards. And uh, basically, it's uh, having overpowered, over overpowered. And sometimes the overpowered, overpowered evens out. And it's basically, you know, uh, a toe-to-toe thing. Um, sometimes it is a cat and mouse where you're trying to uh, um, uh, eliminate or trying to not... Uh, create situations where the opponent has such an overpowered card that they can just steamroll you. So there's crazy strategy involved when you put the God cards in. Uh, the next one is uh, it's just so adorable. And again, 15 to 30 minutes, it's Patchwork. Uwe Rosenberg, published by Lookout Games. Uh, this is strictly a two-player game, and it is basically... Tetris, the quilting game <laughs> with a button economy. And um, without saying too much about it, um, this is, I think, the first game where Rosenberg started to ex- you know, experimenting with that polyomino Tetris piece kind of thing. And uh, I, th- I nailed it, like out of the gates, nailed uh, the, the fusion between thematic and mechanical. In, in how the button economy purchasing, the rondelle type of abilities of what uh, a polyomino tile is available to you. Uh, sometimes there's your ability to, to uh, put your, your opponent into a situation that they don't want to be in, right? Um, and again, like I said, this plays 15 to 30 minutes, so there's, there's no, you know, oh, I spent an hour and a half and, and I, you know, lost, right? Even if you lose, it's like, wow, cool, right? I just about got it, right? There's more competition with yourself than anything. Now, um, I'll also pair into family is a New York Zoo, which is take that mechanical idea and that button economy and change the button economy to species propagation, and you have New York Zoo, and it is wonderful and beautiful as well. So yeah, that's uh, that's those ones. And we're gonna finish this batch of five off with uh, one of our favorite trading games to the point where uh, <laughs> it gets a lot of like stare, like cold eye staring across the table. And I'm talking about Bonanza from 1997, another Uwe Rosenberg. Uh, published by Amigo Games, and it's it's that bean card game with the very familiar uh, yellow box of such intensity that it burns your retina. That's the game I'm talking about, and uh, it is, like I said, a trading game where you're you're a bean farmer and you're trading uh, the 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 beans, which are the cards in your hand. And again, like any kind of set collecting game, there are uh, uh, you know, general types that give you, you know, average points. And there are, uh, you know, special, uh, um, not as many types that will give you huge points, right? So there's, yeah, there's that idea in your set collecting. There's also the idea of um, in this, uh, that you have two fields and that there's a procedural part of this game where you have to do this, you have to do this, and then you can trade and then you need to plant and then it's the next player's turn. The thing I love about this game um, that is very unique is that when you get your hand of, of beans, you can't organize your hand. The way they're dealt to you is the way that you pick them up and the card that is faced to you without being covered up is the first bean uh, that you have to evaluate in your hand of cards. Now, when it comes to, when it comes to uh, um, trading, you can trade whatever being in your hand. So you'll see a lot of people trying to trade themselves into a situation where when it comes to their turn, that it is the most efficient procedural process. Like I want to plant these. I want to, right? Rather than, oh, I got stuck with this bean. I, oh man, I have to, I have to uh, uh, cash in this crop for not as much points because I have to plant this. So there's all these uh, very delicate choices that you make in very simple game. And of course, you add any kind of trading, and boy, is there a lot of meta that shows up. And uh, if uh, if the if the children are cranky with the papa, then the papa doesn't win. <laughs> and I'm okay with that because it's so much fun. 
Um, and honestly, uh, just to show my age a little bit, the, the beans, like the artwork to the beans reminds me so much of Mad Magazine that I just get a nostalgic kick every time I, uh, every time I play this game. So I encourage you. It's not very expensive, and I'm telling you, you will have, for how much this game costs, you will have so much fun with your family. That is Bonanza. And we're down to uh, the last five. And as I said before, there's no order of preference. This is just 20 games. But I am leaving the last one for the special nostalgic um, lump in the throat, little tear in the eye, um, uh, family uh, game. And uh, so, but we're, let's continue. Um, not much more can be said about this classic. Um, Ticket to Ride, but we like the Europe version because it adds uh, a different map. It adds, uh, you know, different strategies and uh, um, a, little, a little variance for us in regards to uh, the, the wild stuff and the, uh, yeah, you know. Um, so, uh, Ticket to Ride, yeah, beautiful set collecting game. Now, this one uh, is, again, a game that runs an hour, but it is uh, fast turns and you don't feel like you're waiting. That's another thing, too, that with all these family games that I've selected, I, I, I mean, anybody who has teenage kids will know that there is a sound they make when they're waiting too long, and that is, hmm, right? And they just kind of, you know, I, I could see people's hairs on their neck kind of go up a bit. Oh, yeah, I don't like that sound. Um, so this is designed by Alan Moon and published by Days of Wonder, and I believe this is one of those uh, uh, <laughs> company-making games, evergreen game that, that everybody just wants to lock in on. And, uh, and I mean, I think the most recent that we could say is like Wingspan and Terraforming Mars have become evergreen games for those publishers. So, uh, yeah, Ticket to Ride. There's so many versions, um, but it is uh, set collecting, card collecting, network building joy. Um, and it, uh, yeah, I mean, not much can be said about it. Is is you you pick trains, uh, you complete routes, and uh, you just keep going until you try to make the most. Uh, 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 routes and 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 ticket connections and score points and uh, yeah this we just have so much fun every time we play this one now again uh, we uh, we have some very competitive children and uh, <laughs> when uh, there are certain cars that people are hunting if there's if, cer if there's certain color uh, uh, train cars that people are hunting for and uh, Boy, oh boy, the, your hand starts to reach for it and you hear growling. <laughs> heed, heed the growling. Or as, as we like to say at the table, let the Wookiee win. <laughs> uh, so moving on, Cascadia is another uh, most recent family favorite designed by Randy Flynn and again, art by Beth Sobel. Gorgeous, gorgeous nature. And Cascadia, for those who don't know, that's uh, the... the uh, Pacific side, kind of the the of North America, that uh, kind of um, uh, northern United States to British Columbia coastline uh, of uh, of that gorgeous part of the continent, uh, and uh, yeah, so this is um, again uh, th this idea of drafting, um, pattern building. Um, you're basically having a, a set of cards that let you know how certain patterns need to be positioned in order to score points. And these patterns uh, come in two varieties uh, of geography, where you're starting to try and pattern connect uh, certain land tile or certain uh, geographic tiles of land, water, mountains. Uh, and on those tiles must have, well, not must, um, you know, if you want to win, um, have animals, and these animals connect with cards that denote uh, if it's bears, it'll say if you have the bears in this configuration and you have this many of these configurations, you'll get this many points. Um, on your turn, it's basically look at the, the market, which will have a pairing of the, the tile and the, the token, the color token, which uh, it represents the particular animal, and you basically decide what you what pairing you want. You take it and you put it in your tableau, organized and placed anywhere that you want that follows the rules. 
and uh, you're trying to do it in such a manner that you're you're following the rules of the point scoring and yeah like w without going crazy on this this is such a fun game uh and the um it's one of those games where the kids don't mind when you're taking time and you're observing how they're uh figuring out their map and what's the best choice and and sometimes we will you know we will throw considerations we'll never tell them what to do on their turn but we will say hey have you considered this have you considered this so that they go so that their the horse blinders open up a little bit and they go oh yeah that's right that's right because this is connected with this rule this bird is connected you know there's all these kind of sometimes these synergistic connections within uh the 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 rule sets of points so yeah so much fun so much fun uh so yeah that's cascadia so moving down uh, again uh we're in that part of the alphabet uh this is another set collecting game another hand management game it's a clever layering game of see-through cards and i'm talking about canvas by jeff chin and andrew uh, nerge and published by road to infamy games and uh again 30 minutes and the idea is you have a market of these uh, see-through plastic cards that have uh, picture elements in them, right? Could be grass, could be a balloon, could be an individual, could be a building, right? On the bottom is that set collecting idea of uh, there's these color swatches, these five different color swatches. And uh, just like the like Cascadia, you're going to have cards that denote and again this is uh, uh art show right you'll have cards that denote uh the rules that uh, the judges are looking for in order to attribute certain point values and as you're going it's very simple you either take a, a card from the market and there's this straightforward rules you know the furthest left doesn't cost anything if you want to go push down towards the deck then you're going to have to put certain tokens in to pay for the cards that you want to get right um, but you, uh, yeah, you select a card from the market or you construct a painting. And in constructing a painting, you take three of these see-through cards and you layer them in a sleeve to compose uh, an image. And then you look at the bottom swatches in regards to what elements are present and the synergy within those elements as they relate to the, the judge's uh, um, uh, voting criteria or point criteria and you score the card. And at the end of the game, again, it's a whole set collecting that, how many blue, blue ribbons do you have? Let's look at the set collecting. If you have two blue ribbons, you get one point. If you have three blue ribbons, you get four points, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, and again, 30 minutes. This game is so much fun. Uh, it's one of those games that is painful in regards to uh, processing how you're gonna layer these, these pictures. So it's so much fun. Uh, we're moving on. We're getting close to that time, so let's wrap this up quickly. We have two more games, and uh, the 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 next one is uh, basically take mahjong and give it a theme. And I'm talking about Dragon Castle, uh, and it is designed by. I'm gonna do my best here, and I'm apologizing right now. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Halmar uh, Hack, uh, Luca Ricci, and Lorenzo Silva, and it's published by Horrible Guild. And Dragon Castle is exactly like I said, it's Mahjong. If you know Mahjong, um, you'll have a um, font or you'll have symbols, um, different colored symbols uh, in different colors. So you'll have, uh, I think there's five sets of colors, like green, red, blue, uh, green, red, blue, uh, yellow, black, and pink. And some colors are very um, um, general and some colors are very, uh, specific and specific I mean that there's less of them um, or they there are the specialty colors that will give you better points and this again this is uh, plays 30 to 45 minutes and uh, it is a um, open drafting pattern building um, uh, kind of like ticket to ride where you I think the the, the con I think the term they use here is to conglomerate meaning where you cash in so you basically have a mound of, of mahjong tiles that are stacked up, uh, predetermined, predetermined stacking to, 
to start the game and you have different uh, maps or patterns that you can build and there are certain rules that you can only take from the top you can only take from a long edge and uh, you're only le there's three uh, three kind of orders that you can go you can take two you can take one and a roof or you can take one and ditch it for a point right and uh, you add to your own tableau and you start to try to build your own little mahjong uh, um, uh, town with and the roof are the are the, um, the the pagoda style roofs that we see in a lot of uh, um, uh, temples in Asia. And I, again, I don't want to miss you know um, uh, make any cultural offense to designating a wrong country and a wrong culture in regards to the 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 roofs that I'm trying to explain. So uh, yeah, Dragon Castle. As far as your your set collecting. And you're cashing in, uh, and the and the idea of your little you're building your little your own little tableau. It's so much fun. You get dialed in, and it's not until the end of the game that you kind of have an idea of, as to who won. Uh, we have so much fun with this game, and uh, and uh, yeah, it is it is uh, probably one of our more played family games. Now the last one, we play this one a lot, and I'm gonna get a little verklempt because I'm talking about Crokinole. Right, Crokinole, that classic, uh, uh, that classic Canadian game, eh? Uh, uh, like uh, the date is 1876, right? So we're talking probably the oldest game in my collection because I don't have chess and I don't have Go, <laughs> and I don't have backgammon. So there you go, uh, Crokinole. Think about uh, curling, the flicking game, and you're only worried about the house. <laughs> uh, this can be played two, can be played four. Uh, you can play with the rules. You can play without the rules. You can just uh, do trick shots. You can have a competitive structured play. You can play, you know, tournament rules where it's like the one cheek rule. And if you want to know about that, you look it up. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Crokinole, that is, that's like at the lake family kind of board game. And uh all you got to do in this household is just basically take the board out, put it on the table, and put the put the discs on the on the board. And uh, all of a sudden, in about a minute, you'll hear just like put an empty cardboard box on the ground, and in about thirty seconds, there'll be a cat in it. Right? That's how Crokinole works in this house. Cat in a box. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, there are the twenty family games to play this summer. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for taking the time. And I'm your host, Norm, and I'll catch you later. This has been an episode of Cardboard Conjecture, and you can find more about the podcast on Twitter at BC Board Gamers, and you can find the podcast on YouTube by searching Cardboard Conjecture and on Board Game Geek. Guild number 4045. If you wish to contact the podcast, you can email norm at cardboardconjecture.com. Thanks, eh? Hey?